0: God, thank you so much for this day and this time and this space. Thank you that regardless of what we're coming from, God, regardless of what our weeks have been like, regardless of what our lives have been like, uh, we can be here and sit before you and hear from you and experience you and know you and uh, grow deeper, God, with you. Uh, Holy Spirit, uh, I pray and I ask that you would allow that to happen here regardless of where we are with you now. I pray that in this time, you would reveal yourself God, to us, that you would reveal both yourself and us, who we are meant to be in light of who you have created us to be. God, help us to step into that here uh, this morning. We entrust it to you. We thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I don't know if you guys uh, heard about this or... Uh, happen to see this, but there is a show called um, it's called, what is it called? Oh, nine Months with Courtney Cox. Have you guys heard of this this show? I don't really know that much about it, uh, but there was an episode of this show, apparently, that was about a uh, transgender woman who is married to a transgender man. And so it's a little confusing, right? But it's a, it's a biological man who transitioned to a woman, married to a biological, biologically born woman who transitioned to a man. And so they got married, and then they had a kid. But basically, the person who had the kid is the transgender man. So biologically a woman, but... Identifies as a man. I know it's super confusing, right? But basically, so they had a kid. So the 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 person who considers themselves a man delivered a child because obviously a biological male cannot deliver a child. Um, so the 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 woman, the biological woman who is a man, uh, gave birth to this child. And then uh, after giving birth, they didn't sign the birth certificate because the person who delivered the child does not identify as a woman, but the mother has to sign the birth certificate. And so they didn't do that. Also, they did not assign a gender to the child because they wanted the child to choose its own gender when it became of age, when it could decide that. And then also there was a video, like a viral video that went around, and basically it was the... So it's, I'm I'm getting confused a little, but it's the it's the woman. So the person who considers herself a woman, but biologically as a man, trying to breastfeed uh, the baby. Now that's impossible because men do not have uh, milk ducts, right? So if I took one of my kids and tried to breastfeed him. Um, that wouldn't work, you know, it just, it wouldn't work and, and so the video is of the biological man Who identifies as a woman trying to feed a baby While the biological woman who identifies as a man Is next to him, um, like encouraging him, I guess Her, I, I'm, I got confused, <laughs> I don't know what I was saying But that's crazy because it goes against everything biological that I've said. What everybody identifies as in that story goes against the strict biological realities. Take, putting aside whether you know a person should identify this or that, the actual biological realities are that one person delivered the baby, one person can breastfeed, due to the parts that they have and one person cannot but everybody in the story is trying to be the opposite of what their biology tells them now the reason that I bring up this story is because that's kind of the world that we live in Uh, and this was some people saw this now obviously some people saw this and they're like this is weird like this doesn't make sense But other people saw this and they were like, that's amazing. You know, this is great. This is what we should be doing in the world. The kind of goal of every sermon, you know, when I come up here and like I'm delivering the word, um, partly is that you would be convinced that what the Bible has to say is right. Right? That it's true. Uh, That is... The essence of like a propositional sermon that I'm telling you something, I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says, I'm trying to convince you that this is what's true by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But part of it also is that you would look at God's design and think that also is better. It's like that is. Incredible! Like, there is actually a glory there or a beauty there that corresponds with reality. And I'm hoping, uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we're going to basically talk about um, men and women today. Uh, in part, God's design for that as it pertains to the family unit. And I'm hoping that that's what we'll see. I'm hoping that we will see both what is true about men and women as God has designed them and, bo- and what is beautiful about the way that God has designed men and women. That's my hope for today. And uh, so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 18 through 21. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. It's a pretty short passage. And um, it's just delineated there. Uh, It goes into something called household codes, which would be common in in Greek times, where they would kind of talk about the family unit and what what should happen there. And Paul is, um, after going through, remember everything that he's gone through, he's gone through like who is Jesus and why Jesus is supreme and why Jesus is sufficient. And then he gets into like, what does that mean for you and your life and your identity and how you should live and how you should kill sin and how you should put on righteousness. And then he gets into essentially what is these... Kind of like this is how your, your family should be. And so this is Colossians 3, 18 to 21. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now we're going to focus mainly on what this means for men and women. Um, The children part, what I will say is, in opposition to maybe what the world thinks, I think what the world thinks today is, children should make the decisions in the household. So children should decide, like, what's right and what's wrong. Essentially, when you look at what the world is kind of preaching, it's basically like kids know better. Almost like the older you are, the less you know, right? It's kind of like the, you know, okay, boomer. Like, that kind of mentality comes from, oh, well, I'm young, and I know what's going on, and older people are kind of outdated and, you know, obsolete, like, not as, not as wise as me we, we kind of have that in society. I would say that that is not kind of what the Bible presents, one, but that's pretty much the extent I'll say to it because almost nobody in here would be considered a child according to uh, this biblical logic, right? Regardless of like you live at home or you're single or whatever, n- nobody here is pretty much of the age to to consider themselves a child um, in what's what would be kind of this biblical, this biblical notion. So we'll focus more on, on what's being said for men and women. Um, now, it's, all it says for wives is, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, we'll talk about a little bit about what that means, and we'll flesh this out more. But um, the verb submit here does not convey, it's the Greek word hu, hupetaso, uh, It does not convey value or worth difference in any way, uh, what it conveys is a cooperative demeanor that puts others first. It's essentially saying, like, it's kind of like being servant-hearted. You know, it's being humble. Now, this was, while this would be something common to say, like, submit to your husbands in Greek times, in the time that, uh, well, I mean, in biblical times, and the time that, in the Greek culture that Paul is writing to, Greek slash Jewish culture, to say, as is fitting in the Lord, would be a very interesting uh, qualifier that would not be common in, in the culture. So what he's saying is, because they would say, just submit to your husband basically regardless, no matter what. But what Paul is saying is, you should submit to your husband, but not because the husband is better or greater or anything like that, but as your service to God. So first, your submission should be to God. right? If your husband is unworthy, if your husband is not Doing kind of according to scripture, if that, then that's the qualifier where it's like, well, that's not really the case then. You need to be under God first and then your husband. The Lord determines what is fitting or not. Now, there are, I'm going to give, and what I'll give here is, because uh, I want to give a little bit more fleshed out idea of biblical womanhood. Um, this is from actually or biblical femininity uh this is this is so there are various statements like this um john piper has one there's something called uh, the the council for biblical manhood and womanhood uh this is from nine marks which is um another kind of church organization that that deals in, in some of these theological ideas. But this is, this is their definition of, of biblical femininity. Biblical femininity is displayed in a gracious disposition to cultivate life, to help others flourish, and to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. Now, so I have to get into a discussion about some theological terms. Like, one is the term complementarianism. Um, We've talked about this before, but this is one of the theological distinctives of our church. This is what we believe. And it's not something that I would call salvific. Like if you are, there are other positions, you know, one is egalitarian, and there are some differences. Complementarianism believes that men and women are essentially different. You know, men are designed a certain way, women are designed a certain way. They are not exactly the same. In an egalitarian, kind of under an egalitarian theological framework, essentially, it's that men and women are exactly the same. So there are no differences. They should just do everything exactly the same, and, and God has designed that to be. I would not call this a sal- salvific issue, but I would say that there are reasons um, beyond just like, oh, I think this is like the right thing. That we are complementarian. Um, so, let me give you an example of how men and women are different according to uh, the world. Okay, so here is uh there was a, a recent study done by Leonardo Christoph Moore, uh, a UCLA postdoctoral fellow in psychiatry. And biobehavioral sciences. So he did this study where participants would lie down in an MRI scanner and then he would show them pictures of basically people in pain. You know so they would they would show these they would do a control group which is like not in pain, and then they would show somebody in pain, and they would show these pictures to a bunch of people, and what he found that female participants in the study showed relatively higher activation in a sensory area of the brain associated with pain. So essentially what he found that the takeaway was when, when women saw the picture, they empathized better, right? So when they saw the person in pain, they, something activated in their brain where they also felt pain. Whereas with men, that didn't happen. And so, you know, one of the conclusions was okay, yeah, females are able to be more empathetic. You know, they have a certain greater capacity for empathy and a certain type of, I would say, compassion. And this is so, this is the thing like, these studies are done. And oftentimes, when you see that, like, you might just think, okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, Men are designed in a certain way. Women are designed in a certain way. But when the world looks at these studies, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, this is due to, like, cultural factors. This is due to, like, what the world says. This is due to, like, evolutionary things. But I don't think so. When Paul says, hey, submit your husbands, and there's a reason that he phrases it like that. He's distilling this down to one basic thing, right? Paul says other stuff in other places. This is not a full teaching on like womanhood or, or what a wife should be. He says other things in other places. But if you go back to Adam and Eve, right? In the Garden of Eden. There was something, if you distill it down, that Eve wanted. And what Eve wanted was control. When you like boil it down. Right? Now really... We'll get to this, but it was more Adam's fault, what happened. And that's actually the way that God takes it too. But what Eve wanted was control in that situation, right? The serpent says something. She's like, hey. He's like, you know, hey, look at this fruit. The fruit looks good. What do you think? Forget about what God said. And forget about what Adam said, because God only gave the command to Adam first. So Adam gave the command to Eve. But Eve's thinking, well, when I look at it, it seems like good to me, so I should seize that. So when Paul distills it down, he's saying, you should fight that urge and step into what God has called you to be. What I would say is, as it pertains to the church and the home, women are uniquely qualified to help and nurture and empower and cultivate life in both the family and the church. Meaning that women are essential for the building of the church, for the making of disciples, and for the advancement of the gospel. Now that means some different things, and I'll say some things for married women and some things for single women. Uh, for married women, I would I would ask: Are you taking up the call? to cultivate life in your family in your husband in your children and in the church to distill it down the goal should be to bring out the best not to identify the worst because I think that is where the that is where essentially even with Eve uh, her struggle was right God said you can have everything but then the one thing you can't have is this this tree, the, the fruit of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and Eve became fixated on the tree, the one thing she couldn't have, right, the one thing that God said, you can't have this, that's where all of her attention went, and when Satan pointed her there and said, hey, here's the, here's the one thing, Eve said, oh yeah, you know what, God is really, like God is really un, uh, like not generous, God's really stingy. He doesn't want me to have this tree. Why does he want me to have this tree? He doesn't want me to be like him. It's incredible. I should say this for, especially for, for wives. It's incredible, the power. Like, I remember when, uh, you know, when Bumi was, was pregnant, especially with Josiah. So, you know, Micah was born, he was young, and Bumi was pregnant with Josiah. And Boomy had, like, really hard pregnancies, you know, for those of you who don't know. She's, like, throwing up all the time, right? And she couldn't go to work, and she's home. So she's home. She can't go to work. She's, like, throwing up every day. And uh, those times were crazy. There was, like, a lot to do. So I would, like, you know, work and do ministry and then, like, uh, take care of the, you know, take care of Micah. I <laughs> say take care of the kid. Uh, take care of Micah and then take, you know, take care of Boomy. Like, she's going through stuff. And, like, some days would be so crazy, that I would just be, like, so tired, and I'm like, oh, I hate, you know, I hate all this. Like, I just, like, hate my life, kind of like, I just hate everything, you know? I just want to just, uh, like, this is all just, that's how it would feel. And then Bumi would just, like, she would, like, throw up, you know, and she'd come out of the bathroom, and then she'd come up to me, and she would just say, like, oh, just, like, thank you for doing everything, you know? And then she'd just go, like, like lie down on the couch. And that alone, just like that little phrase, was enough for me to be like completely flip my mentality. I'd be like, "Oh gosh, this is great! <laughs> it's like this is it's fine. You know, my wife's pregnant and like just doing all this work. Like that's the power. Honestly, it's crazy. Like even this week um, or the past couple weeks, I was we were doing some. Um, I was doing some conversations with our leaders, our life group leaders, and we would do like these one on ones. And whenever I would talk to the guys, it would be like. You know what's up like how's your group and stuff and we'd we'd go through we talk about the whole you know year and quarter how COVID's been and this and that and honestly like so, so a lot they were encouraging too they'd be like oh you know like thanks and stuff but when guys talk it's just very like oh, yeah thanks you know it's oh, cool yeah thanks you know you too like and that's kind of it like that's the end of it right and then I would meet with the the female leaders and some of them like would say these encouraging things, and I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> thanks, thank you." You know, I'd be really like, um, like emotional, honestly. Like touch, it's very different. I think God has wired us really in a in a different way, where there's this life giving, this like power of cultivation in those words. So I would just say, particularly for wives. You have that power, you know, for your husband, probably in a way that nobody else does, I would say. I want to say something real quick for single and unmarried women also. Um, First and foremost, first thing is, being single or unmarried is not any less in terms of worth, in terms of maturity, in terms of really anything— And a very important thing I'd say is for single men and women, uh, just remember, Jesus never got married, right? So Jesus lived on this life as a human being, and he chose to not marry. You know, Paul himself says, this is from 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 6 through 9, it says, Now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as my... I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. When he says, as I am, he, he means single. Uh, verse 8, he says, to the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. And so Paul, in this kind of post-Jesus era, he's essentially saying like the family unit you know, mom, dad, kids. Like, that is not the essential way. That's not the essential unit alone through which God works. In the Old Testament, actually, that was the case. In the New Testament, he's saying that's not the case. And we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more later. Um, And so first I want to say that, and I'll talk a little bit more about some of that towards the end too. What I would say for, also for single women as a... um, I would actually say, I guess I would say this to all women. Seek mentorship from older women. Um, and I've had these, I've had like so many conversations about this with men and women. And there's kind of this question of like, well, you know, how does that work? Is that like, a should we have a program? You know, is there like a thing that should, you know, do you sign up and then match people? It's like, you could do that. But what I would say the best way to do this is because th- the best way to do this is not through some like massive bureaucracy where it's like, okay, everybody sign up and then we'll pair people up and like we'll do this and that. Cause then, and then what if you get matched with somebody and you're like not even, this is not the person you wanted, you know, and then you're thinking all these other things. It's like, here's, here's the best way to get mentorship. This is in fact the way that I've gotten mentorship from people. It's like when I have questions or when I need counsel I go to a pastor friend of mine, an older pastor friend, and I just ask them, I say, do you want to grab lunch or coffee? And then I just like ask them some questions. That is mentorship. That's what mentorship is. For some reason, people have in their minds that it's like this formal thing where you got to meet every week or like every month or something, and it's like, you know, you're... No, that's not really what it is. So what I would say is, if you want mentorship... If you don't want mentorship, forget it. If you want mentorship, grab somebody and just say, hey, are you free? Like, you know, ask them on a Sunday or text them or find their Instagram or something. and Just be like, hey, are you free ever to grab coffee or dinner sometime? And that's it. That's the whole thing. That is the whole thing. Please do that. You know, uh, I would, for older women, maybe look for opportunities, but I would say it is much more incumbent on the person who wants mentorship. Like, it's weird if I just go around to everybody and be like, hey, do you want mentorship? Hey, what's up, man? You want some mentorship? No, you don't want it? Okay. How, how about you? You want men? Like, that's weird. You know, it's weird if, like, older women are just going around and be like, hey, do you, wanna, you want me to mentor you? <laughs> like, that's weird. You know, but if you, are, if you want that, I guarantee if you go to somebody and be like, hey, do, can you grab, like, maybe not, do you want to formally mentor me, like, one, you know, bi-weekly for the next three years? Like, that's, maybe that's not. But if you're just like, hey, do you want to grab, um, like, are you free ever to, to grab a dinner or a coffee? Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to say yes. Uh, and if they say no, you know, just just move on, move it along to the, <laughs> to the next one, right? But please do that. Uh, and I'll, uh, again, I will get into how that, why that is the way that things should be um, a little bit later. But let me move on to men. So what it says for men is, uh, husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. It also says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is, a, this is from the same... Um, Organization, but this is kind of the definition of biblical masculinity. The essence of biblical masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to tend God's creation, provide for and protect others, and express loving, sacrificial leadership in particular contexts prescribed by God's word. If kind of the core essence that Paul boils down, uh, you know, womanhood, is like relinquishing control to God primarily— and then in some other context, perhaps, like, to husband or leadership. For men, what it boils down to is, like, take responsibility. It is take responsibility. Because do you know what Adam, why Adam is held accountable? Because God gives the command to Adam in the Garden of Eden. He tells him what to do. He tells him what not to do. And then while Eve is talking to the serpent, do you guys know what Adam is doing? He's doing nothing. He's doing nothing. He's just standing there. Eve is about to introduce original sin into the world. Okay, and Adam's over there like, I mean, I don't, whatever you want to do. You know, do you want to do that? I guess, like, let's just, let's just eat it. Like, he's doing nothing, He's just like being a whistle. they're standing on the side. Like, I mean, I guess if you want to do it, then let's just do it. He is not leading. He is not protecting Eve from the consequences of sin. Remember, God said, if you eat this fruit, you will definitely die. Right? If my kid is running out into the street, and he's definitely going to get hit by a car, I'm not going to be like, well, if you really want to, go ahead. Like, I'll just watch you do it. The essence of bis- biblical masculinity is benevolent responsibility. Benevolent responsibility to tend God's creation, provide for and protect others, and express loving, sacrificial leadership. So, the, Paul distills it down to love. Sacrificially love and by implication, lead, because if women are to submit, if the wives are to submit, then the husbands obviously have to lead. And leading doesn't mean, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean having authority. It doesn't mean dominating. It doesn't mean that, oh, she's supposed to listen or you're supposed to enforce her listenership. By the way, that's also something that there's nowhere in the Bible. Because obviously there's a lot of abuse throughout history that men have done. And there's nothing in the Bible that says you should enforce your leadership. Because there is for kids, it says you should, you should spank your kids, right, if they don't listen. And there is for governments. It says you, you should enforce the law if people don't, you know, obey the law. There's nothing for husbands that says you should enforce your authority. It just says you should lovingly lead. So I, I'm going to, I was going to go through some other stuff, but I just want to, I, I want to skip to this. It, do, you guys, do you guys know who Fallon Fox is? So, um... In 2014, okay, there was this controversy about Fallon Fox, who was a man for 32 years, and then transitioned into a woman, and then fought in the MMA as a woman, okay? So, I, uh, in one fight, Fox's last fight against uh, Tamika Brents, Brents was badly beaten, she needed seven staples in her head, Broken orbital bone in her skull And she suffered a concussion Okay, So this was a person who was born a man Transitioned into a woman Then went into the MMA to fight And I actually watched this fight Where uh, You know, Fallon Fox fights uh, Tamika Brents it's, It takes like two minutes And two minutes in she's you know, uh, Fallon Fox is punching Tamika Brents on the ground Basically she's like bleeding out her head She's like has a concussion And um, it's like Horrific Honestly, it's it's one of the grossest things, I think, it's one of the grossest things I've seen. And the thing is, the world is going to say, that's great. You know, like the progressive culture has to say, oh, that's awesome. You know, because... What's a man and what's a woman? It's just something you think in your brain. It's just something you made up. You know, it's a social construct. And like, that's good if we're breaking barriers and like this dude who used to be a man transitioned into a woman and is like beating the pulp out of this other woman. A person born as a biological man physically beating and dominating a woman is not glorious or beautiful. It is terrible. It is terrible. The way that God has designed it, what God has designed is for not that. It's not for there to be, and and here's why we're complementarian and not egalitarian, because if you ask an egalitarian, what's the difference between a man and a woman? There's really no answer. It's just everybody is supposed to be the same. And so any kind of biological differences, any kind of neurological differences, any kind of differences in preference or choice, any kind of differences in gifting or ability as it pertains to gender is kind of just swept under the rug. I'm going to say something for men, and then I'll say something to close. Uh, Married men, does your wife feel... Loved and sacrificially led? Does she feel loved and sacrificially led primarily toward God and then by you? Because she's supposed to submit not to you first, but to God first and then to you. And so, and the reason I phrased it not do you love her, because I believe obviously you would answer yes to do you love her, but Does she feel that you love her and that you are trying to lead her? Because that is your primary, like when Paul says love, he's saying take responsibility, take ownership. It's not somebody else's job. It's certainly not my job to lead your wife or to lead your family. It's not some teacher in the, you know, children's department or the youth group or the youth pastor one day like they'll lead them, they'll teach them all the stuff that they need to know. No, it's fathers, husbands, that's your job. You're supposed to do that. If you feel ill-equipped, there are tons of resources out there. You should ask me, you should look on the internet, you should be reading stuff and studying stuff and taking classes and doing things so that you can grow, so that you can learn, so that you can be equipped to teach and to lead and to love. For single and unmarried men, here's the the primary thing I would say. It's like, learn to work hard. Learn to work hard. If you don't have a job, get a job. Learn to work willingly, joyfully, and sacrificially, both in the world and in the church. You know, I so, uh, you know, this week, and I'm certainly not saying this to um, tout myself or anything, I, and I know many of you guys have a similar schedule to me, but this week I woke up at, You know, six thirty every morning. That's just the normal time to get the kids ready for school, get them ready, make them breakfast, drop them off. While they're at school, I do work or ministry. And then, you know, this particular week, I read a few books on complementarianism. You know, some other some books I've read before, but some other things. Read some. You know, listened to some sermons, did some podcasts, had some leaders' meetings, and then met with some other people. And you know, I went to a birthday dinner yesterday, and then and that's just like. Honestly, that's like a pretty normal week. It was not a particularly busy week. Men, like, that should be pretty much like, that's normal. Like, it shouldn't be like, oh, gosh, like, Ugh, and then I have to serve at church, and then I have to do this, and then I have to do that. No. Like, that, that's, that's your call as a man, to learn to joyfully and sacrificially lead and serve and love both your family and God's people, the church. And the reason that I say that God's people, the church, when you look at, I'm not going to go over that. Uh, This is from Matthew. Okay, this is from Matthew 18. It says, But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, because here's the thing, right? Here's something we must understand. There been, have been many historical problems, right, in the church. There's been spiritual abuse. There's been patriarchy. And in society, we see like, you know, rape culture and all these other kinds of things, like terrible things those are all terrible things. How do we not let that happen in the church? Well, here's how. Everybody here... So yes, you have your familial unit. But everybody here is meant to also be family. Right? So every, every woman, you know, every younger woman, you should consider like a, a sister or a daughter. Every older woman, like, a, you know, a mother or, a, you know, an older sister every man, younger man, you know, like a son, or like a brother, like all of us. So if if somebody in the church, if one of my, you know, brothers, someone who I consider brother, but is also married to someone who I consider sister, and if that person who is my sister is being abused, then I can't just like stand by and do nothing there. Like that cannot be allowed to happen in the church. If whether it is by physical abuse or spiritual abuse or emotional abuse, like that is happening in the church, then we as a church have to be together. Like we are one family. We are one tribe. Not in a bad way, not in a tribal way, but in a, in a loving way, in a serving way. That's why it matters so much the way that you come into church That's why Paul's words here for the household are relevant for the church, because the church is meant to be this kind of countercultural family. Because in the world, they're going to say, hey, you know, women, like, this is what life is all about. You should fight for your rights. And I believe 100% that women should have equal rights, equal value, equal dignity, equal in every capacity. But for example, let's take like abortion, for example. That is a perversion of the notion of rights. It's phrased, a woman's right to choose. And this is what the world sees as glorious. A mother sacrificing their own child for the sake of themselves is considered glorious. Oh, that's beautiful. But what the gospel says is, no, sacrificial submission is beautiful. A mother sacrificing herself for her child, that's beautiful. It's how Jesus, king of all creation, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, it's how Jesus himself modeled the gospel to an unbelieving world through submission to the Father. Jesus, who himself is God, said, well, I don't need to be down here to glorify myself. It's the way that he served. It's the way that he loved He said, I exist for the glory of my Father. That's the humility that both men and women get to exhibit in the church, but especially women in the family. They get to show that joyfully doing that, willingly doing that for themselves, not men forcing them to do it, not anybody forcing them to do it. It's when they take it on themselves. Nobody forced Jesus to submit. He himself did it. And that is a beautiful thing. Men, the world says you have to assert your authority. Right? You have to make sure that people see you and hear you. You have to dominate. But the gospel says, men, sacrificing of yourself, your body, your time, your plans, your life is far more powerful than asserting your authority it's how leaders lead well. It's how the apostles and disciples demonstrated their devotion to the gospel by dying for it. And it's how Jesus Christ, God himself, showed his unconditional love for an unbelieving world. It was not by coming and saying, look, I'm king. It's by saying, I am your shepherd and I'll show you what that means. I'm going to go to the cross and die for you. That is the beauty of God's complementarity, that's what he wants this is what I think is lost in kind of egalitarianism there isn't this you know some call it like John Piper he calls it a, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful dance it's like when you look at ballroom dancers one leads and one follows it has nothing to do with the ability it's not about you know who's better it's just they both can't do both things when they're working in conjunction together, it is a beautiful picture. That is the picture that is meant to be in both the family and the picture that is meant to be in the church. Let's uh, step into that together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your design God, you have uniquely gifted us, you have uniquely designed us, God, as men and women in different biological and neurological ways, God, you um, want us to work together to flourish, not uh, fight against each other, God, not claim our own rights, you want us, God, to Love and lead in a sacrificial way, God. You want men to not run away from responsibility. To not run away from having to make the choice for wife and children, God. To not run away when you say what has happened here. When you call, what's happened in this family? What's happened in this church? You don't want us, God, to point the finger. You don't want us, God, to blame other people. You want us, God, to stand firm before you. To humbly confess, to humbly repent, to humbly follow and submit to you. want us to be a people God that is filled with women that are not fighting for control or fixated on what is not God but that joyfully and powerfully counterculturally willingly submit to you God that willingly put on display the beauty Of Christ in the gospel that willingly and joyfully cultivate life, that nurture and empower and bring glory to you, God, would we be a people that is committed to who you call us to be, who you have designed us to be? Let us step into that, God. We entrust it to you. Thank you so much. We love you. We give you all the glory. Jesus, and we pray.